I just want you to take a, a close look at me here. This is my excited face right now. I'm super, really, really excited. And so, don't, don't forget it. Um, I was sitting in my spa about uh, six, eight weeks ago, and where I have my time with the Lord, uh, often, not every day, but some days when it's still dark, sun's coming up, and uh, I just, uh, God dropped. I said, you know, I'm going to be going to, I thought I was going to Chicago, but I ended up having surgery and, on sinuses and couldn't go there, but, um, and for this time, and God dropped some stuff in my heart, and it exactly fits with this weekend, and it's something that God did. Uh, from you getting here and overcoming hurdles and obstacles to be here right now, uh, from uh, everybody preparing for this time, from uh, ties sharing uh, with, with the uh, eldership couples yesterday morning and then last night, and then uh, Steve's time, all the prophetic words, the worship, and then and then I'm I know that I, you know, up until recently that I may or may not have a chance to share, but I'm going, this thing fits. This is like, this is like the thing that like uh, Tyron's up at 50,000 feet, big picture, uh, grand landscape time of, you know, enlarging and that kind of stuff. And Steve kind of brought it down a little bit, a bit more like this. And then this is like, you know, the 100 feet off the ground with the gears down, the flaps up. And I'm so excited. Good. See? Yeah. I am so excited. So, anyway, um, I want to thank Cindy for her word uh, there uh, just a minute ago. And that prompted me. I had this written for, for you guys. And I forgot about it until Cindy came up here. Uh, since handing over my leadership of Westside uh, Church, that, you know, that's something that God orchestrated. I have an increased appreciation for all of those elders and pastors and wives who lead local churches. The cost. The pressure to oversee care for broken people. Sermon preparation. Administration. Finances. Leader training. All while leading your own home, loving your spouse, raising your kids in an age where most are falling away. Maintaining integrity and humility, walking in faith and the power of the Spirit, keeping Jesus first, fulfilling the Great Commission while living out the Great Commandments, loneliness, the pain of giving all, often without reciprocation, your motives judged, your decisions called into question, the accuser never relenting, yet remaining faithful, persevering, Enduring hardship while looking forward, finishing the race, and completing the task with your eyes fixed on Christ. Thanks. So, all of those of you that are not elders and wives, you know how to pray for them, and God has his hand upon you. Uh, in your sphere of influence, and oftentimes, if, it's a, if you're a believer counting for Jesus, it's, it's a big, big cost. So, well done, thanks. Um, I, uh, I'm going to share some, this is very practical stuff 
today. And I'm going to share some stuff, but then finish it off with a personal testimony. To, I think it will tie it up at the end. So I'm going to talk about some stuff that um, it's a list of things uh, so that you will know how to kill your church's effectiveness. All right. So this is called things that will kill a church's effectiveness. And uh, it's a different spin. You know, if, we, if you just reverse it, these were things that help your church to be effective. But I, I just felt God drop this in, in my heart because uh, God brings the increase. Jesus says, this is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And um, there's, there's nothing we can do to cause the church to grow. But we can stop the church from growing. We can screw it up big time. If you've ever planted a garden, you know that God causes that miracle of growth. But you can not water it or not cultivate it or not let it get sunshine and, you know, things like that. So uh, there are things that we can do to mess things up. And so this is, this is the list. And it's a work in progress. It's the first time I've shared this list. And um, it's not complete and not necessarily in order, but, you know, kind of is. And I'm going to go through it uh, fairly quickly. But before we go through the list, I have 13 things that will kill your church's effectiveness. Uh, there's a few things that I want to understand that are givens. This is, this, is, this is the foundation before we get started in that. These are things that are important uh, um, to the life of the church according to what Jesus thinks. And you, we have a great list in Roman, or Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where he writes letters to the seven churches, and the things that he commends them for or rebukes them for, it shows us the list of things that Jesus thinks is important for his church. Uh, some of us went back to Denver a couple years ago and spent time with uh, Nigel Day-Lewis, uh, the professor, and, and he shared these things. But you can just read in your Bible, in Romans or Revelation chapter 2 and 3, read the letters to the churches. In fact, I don't have very many scriptures for you at all today. Because my assumption is that you are believers, You're, this is a leadership time of equipping, everybody's welcome, uh, but if you have questions, uh, go look it up or ask Jody, all right? So he'll tell you, he'll tell you all the things, so, <laughs> uh, so the things that are important to Jesus in Revelation are love, love, these are, this is very important, love for God, uh, love for people. Uh, love, love for uh, his kingdom, and, and that is, in essence, the great uh, commandment, loving God and loving others, and that's paramount, authentic love for God, authentic love for each other. Uh, holiness and purity, Jesus uh, commends some of the churches for. Uh, he goes, I know your deeds, um, I know the life you're living, and this is what we want in, is holiness and purity. And then also uh, what is required of churches, what Jesus thinks is important, is humility. Uh, humility before God and before men. Not thinking that you're it. That was a mantra at our old church. We are not it. We are part of it. Paul says you are, each of you is part of it. The, the body of Christ. He's it. We're not. And if we start thinking that we are, we've got it all figured out, we're in big trouble. Walking in, in, uh, in um, humility, holiness, purity, humility. Uh, the fourth one down is truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Right? 
So the lie is not, should not be emanating from, from the church thing that carried, is we preach truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. It doesn't say he was full of grace or truth. It's both. Truth is kind of black and white, you know? And some of you lean that way, and grace is kind of shades of gray, and others of you lean that way. We're supposed to be both, right? Full of grace and truth. Uh, serving. Serving. Works of service. Uh, using our gifts to serve others so that God gets the glory. You all are a gift. Your gift. Who you are. And you're to use that gift to serve others so that God gets the glory. It's very difficult to serve God. Okay, God, what do you need? Do you need the trash taken out? Do you need, what do you need? We serve God by serving and loving others. That's, it's, that's the practical outworking of that. Uh, growth. There's an expectation that we grow and that we mature and that we are being made more complete and that we finish this process of sanctification. Yes, we are saved. We're justified, but we are being saved. And we uh, want to grow. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And number seven, uh, perseverance, pushing through, finishing, completing, despite the odds, persevering. We're in it for the long haul. It's not, a, it's not a sprint. It's a long haul. I, I think I said it in Chicago a few years ago. I said, the reason I'm still in ministry is because I was too stupid to quit. <laughs> I didn't realize that you could quit. I just thought we needed to, we told God we're going to do this. We're going to serve him. Uh, Terry's and my on, on our wedding day, 48 years ago. <laughs> She goes, I don't know. So, our verse was, seek first the kingdom of God. And all this other stuff will be added. Put him first. Try that. Try that. All right? So, perseverance. Hebrews 10 says, uh, hold on to the hope that you say you have. Another version says, without wavering. I love that phrase, without wavering. We are going on. We are not quitting. We're not stopping. So here's some things that will kill your church's uh, effectiveness. We know that God brings the increase, but we can certainly screw it up. Number one, not keeping Jesus first. And that one is number one. Jesus has to be first. Not fighting for our passion for him. You know, in your marriages, you got to fight for that passion because it wanes. And we have to keep on uh, uh, with our relationship with Jesus. He has, he has to be, it has to be intentional, putting him first, loving him first and foremost. Um, not slipping into uh, lukewarmness. Yeah. Honey, I, I, I'm kind of like halfway hot in my passion for you right now. So that, that won't go very far. All right. No, we don't want, Jesus said, I'd rather have you cold, actually. At least you're being honest. But this thing in lukewarmness, so not keeping Jesus first. And our priorities, it, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. If we don't know what our priorities are, that's number one, if you're a believer. 
There's no, there's no question about that. That's number one, putting him first. Number two, not keeping others first. Hey, I thought it was not keeping Jesus first. And now you say not keeping others first. Well, that's the great commandment. Love God, love others. There is no other greater commandment, singular, than these, plural. So two commands are one commandment, the great commandment. Not putting others first. Number three, not allowing the Holy Spirit a voice. And it's not, it's not the downtime between the fast songs and the slow songs and the sustained chord. Come on, where's Aunt Susie? She's got to get up here and give us a word or it's the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up, you know. That's not in the Bible. The Holy Spirit's presence and making room for him starts when the first two people get there. There I am in your midst. And it could be two guys praying together out in the parking lot. It could be people in a corner leading somebody to the Lord. It could be a Sunday school teacher sharing Jesus with a child and they pray the first time uh, uh, accepting Christ. And it could be people back in the kitchen whistling because they know they're serving God. There's also people back in the kitchen that they're doing family chores. They, they love the, the church, they love the Lord, but they don't like doing the kitchen stuff. So that's family chores. I'm talking about the people who are doing what God created them to do. That's the presence of the Lord. And when he brings strength and encouragement and comfort. And so I've been thinking about this. Worship, which we call singing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to singing for a minute as worship. It's, although worship is our whole life. Um, some people are in love with worship. Not, not the one we're worshiping. Oh, I love this song. It gives me goosebumps. So, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, Worshiping worship is not worship. And I'm going to challenge you because there's a whole lot of people out there who love Jesus passionately. And their style of worship is way different than yours. So be careful when you say, I hate that kind of worship. Because that's the body of Christ, the bride of Christ that you're talking about. And I encourage you, especially if you're younger and you've only been exposed to one style of worship in your life. That's not the only way to worship God. I'm going to bring, come back to that a little bit later. Things that will kill a church's effectiveness. Number four, learning to live with division. We've talked about unity. Division, the word die is two in Greek. Division, two visions. And um, it tears up and splits. And sometimes we go, ah, it's not a, that's not that big of a deal. We can just let it lie. Those people sit over here. Those people sit over here. Just don't talk to each other. No. We are not to learn how to live with division. We fight for unity. And unity does not happen by accident. 
You got to fight for it. It's got to be intentional. If we're all keyed into Jesus as the conductor, even though we're different, we got some strings and some brass percussion over here, some oboe players. You're the really different ones, but they're all tuned into Jesus. So we're in unity, all right? Not uniformity, unity. Uh, the fifth one that will kill your churches. Now, these are, I'm good. You could preach on each one of these, all right? I'm expecting you to at least think about them, talk about them at some point. Settling. Settling. Now, there's a definition of the word settling that I'm talking about. Not Sometimes we refer to settlers, and they're, they're, they're referred to as settlers, like in the, the Wild West. And they're more like, uh, actually, they're pioneers. Because a settler just means, oh, I'm going to live in the same old, same old, you know, this is it. No, and sometimes we refer to settlers, and they were brave. They opened new ground, you know, cleared forests, planted crops, you know, those kind of things. Fought off the bears and the tigers. And um, no, there's no tigers in North America, so cougars. So not that kind of, of settlers, but pioneers. Uh, I'm talking about people who say we've always done it that way. What are, you, what are you talking about? We've always done it that way. Uh, we can't change this. Or they're living in and longing for the past. That's, that's settling. That's, that's uh, a danger. Um, things just get into routine, and that's the quickest way to lose your first love. Just settling into routine. So Paul says, I press on. I press on. And I'm going to persevere. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. So if somebody has a better illustration than this, please tell me because I'm kind of tired of this one, but it makes its point. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. In fact, he probably got his marching orders or his slurping orders from God 120 years before the ark was built. She's just kind of getting his way there. Never gave up. Yeah. Number six. Not dreaming. Not dreaming. Um, you could do things better. You could do things bigger. Yeah. As long as it's God's whispers that you're responding to, not your own ego. But not dreaming. Dream big dreams. Remember that old blue pencil, if you were ever at Jesse Mason's office? Big, giant, humongous pencil. It says, dream big dreams. Big, fat thing. It actually worked. It was a real pencil. Dream big dreams. And like Steve said with the cups, dream big dreams for you. Dream big dreams for your family, for your church, for the kingdom, for his glory. And I had this in my notes before anybody said this this weekend. This little graphic, it's my only graphic today. Sadly, did we get it? There we go. Sadly, the life many Christians dream about is not the life Jesus died for. 
Make sure your dream is his dream coming alongside there. Jesus said in, in Luke 9, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, that's your dream, then you will lose it. But if you give your life for my dream, for my sake, you'll save it. Luke 9, 23 and 24, that was there. Number seven, things that will kill a church's effectiveness. Too complicated. Too complicated. You know, we're scattered. Uh, you know what being scattered is? It's diluting your, your strength and your focus. Just dissipated. Things, things get really complicated. I know that the, the larger your church is, the more administratively complicated yeah. it might be. You have to separate that out from your purpose, why you're there, yeah. or the patterns we see in the New Testament. I would, I, would, I would state that all of us say we go to or we have a New Testament church. My challenge for you is look in the New Testament and see what those churches did. If you call yourself a New Testament church. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and fellowship, and to prayer. It's very simple. My exhortation to you is use that or something else, another verse that's similar to that, but is equally simple, and, and keep your focus on that. And yes, programs will come and go. Administrative ideas will change with culture. But our focus is we're going to be devoted to the Word of God. We are going to be devoted to the fellowship. Healthy relationships. And we're going to be devoted to prayer. Prayer. So it's not complicated. So, we don't want to have a scattered, inconsistent focus. Number eight, not dealing with distractions. This kind of goes hand in hand with seven, but it's a little bit different. We are so busy in our culture. We're so busy in our culture. But busyness and programs and, and all the things that we do does not strengthen the church. The Bible says that love strengthens the church. 1 Corinthians 8. It's love that strengthens the church. I've said, you may have heard me say it before. You cannot squeeze Jesus into an already overcrowded life. I just had surgery on my sinuses. And so for almost two years, I couldn't smell anything. It's like kind of reverse COVID. And uh, because during COVID, I had COVID earlier this year, and they gave me all the steroids and the inhalers and all that stuff, and for two weeks, I could smell. So during COVID, I could smell. Now, then I went back to not smelling. So uh, four weeks ago, I had all this rotor rooted out. It's horrible. So, but as soon as I came out of the surgery, I could, sm I could breathe and I could smell, even though I was still all stuffed up. So I drove to uh, 
California this last week. Terry flew in yesterday. We're going to drive home together. And I stopped at a Cocos because I was driving by Best Buy. It's just right over here. Best Buy and then Cocos is in that same place. And I smelled the hamburgers cooking. I had not smelled that smell in two years. <laughs> There's, I didn't know where in and out was. <laughs> you know, in Texas, they, they don't like in and out Can you believe that? They like Whataburger. So anyway. And they say the exact, the exact same thing. I preached at my son's church, and I said, I'm learning to love Whataburgers. He goes, yeah, like this. Anyway. Huh. So I was thinking about getting, uh, you know, this, they used to have strawberry pies. They didn't have any, so I didn't get any. Uh, but um, I was thinking about, you know, you, you take a pie from Coco's or Marie Callender's or something, and they cut them into six pieces. They, they're humongous pieces when you cut them. And, I'm, and you want to take home seven pieces. So you go, can you just squeeze those others together so we can put another piece in? That's what we do with our life all the time. I am full. I'm, I'm busy. I don't have any margin left. And I'm trying to squeeze Jesus into this already overcrowded life. Dump the pie out. Put Jesus in the middle. And out of that, you become the best husband, the best pastor, the best wife, the best student, the best worker. With Jesus as the center. Don't try to squeeze him into an already overcrowded life. Number nine, not remaining pure. I think I talked to some of you young people in Denver a few weeks ago about purity. Luke eleven thirty six talks. Jesus talks about having no dark corners in our life. You know what purity actually means? It means 100%. So like they have the, the Purell little things. You read it, it says kills 99.99% of bacteria. Well, what about that other 1.001% that might get me, you know? <laughs> what if I told Terry, honey, I just want you to know, this last year in our marriage, I've been 99% faithful. Yet we, as the bride of Christ, tell him, Jesus, you know, I've been 90% right on for you. How does he like that? Purity. And that's one of the things, the big things in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 is purity. Am I faithful? Am I faithful? And if there's not faithfulness in your little cup, that affects the bigger cup. And that affects the bigger cup. Because that impurity is in the, in the whole picture there. Number 10, not staying ready and alert. Jesus says in Luke 12, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Just, we've got to be always alert and ready. I'm not going to give you any timeline of when Jesus returns, but we are commanded to be ready. We're commanded to be ready, so we want to be ready. Number 11, when we have an inward focus that kills the church's effectiveness, us four, no more. I'm so grateful and so thankful 
um, that we had a, a healthy church. The church we went to, uh, going to in Texas now is very healthy, and um, we, people are engaged to not just run off as soon as the service is over, but to, to um, be focused on, on new people, visitors, and bringing them in and including them. If you find yourself that you're only and always with the same four people when you go out to dinner or go to movies or something, and you never include anybody else, that's not missional. That's not what Jesus called us to do, is to include others, to bring them in. Terry and I have had a wonderful time this fall. We, we started a new small group in our new church. We just go, we don't know anybody, so we're going to invite them to our house. And about three-quarters of them had been at the same church less than three months. They didn't know anybody else either. And now we have a fully united, functioning uh, a small group. There's, there's like 25 in the group, 23 or so in the, in the group. And it's possible. You can include people. Yeah. And if you don't have any friends, here's the, here's the, the, the fix. Be a friend. So we said to the second graders back when I was a teacher out on the playground, don't have a friend, be a friend. We could write a book, all the important things in life I learned in second grade. Don't touch others. Keep your hands to yourself. Don't eat others' cookies. <laughs> so. Our granddaughter, Nova, she, she got a note last year from the teacher said, Nova ate Amber's cookie. You know, it was like the big the big crime in the class that day, so. <laughs> so. And when you make decisions, if you're on a leadership team, you don't make decisions based on how it's gonna affect you. Yeah. Too often we go, oh man, we are so tired. We're gonna just cancel everything for two months. And it doesn't, that's not why you're there. It's what's for the good of the sheep yeah. in the church. Number 12, not eliminating programs and activities that have run their course. Usually, not always, but usually the best time to stop doing something you've always done is when it's at the peak. Not after you keep it going for five or six years after it's waned and everybody can't stand it anymore. Keep it up here and then go on to something else that's higher, another thing to aim for. And I'm not saying everything. There's some things that you do want to keep, of course, but... Uh, Jesus talks about pruning and trimming uh, vines that have been fruitful so that they'll be more fruitful. And sometimes we need to be careful that we don't get uh, too complicated there. Number 13, I'm going to uh, spend on this one, spend some time on this one. Number 13, not prioritizing our partnership with Ephesians 4 ministry gifts. It's a big deal. If you lead a church or in church leadership, that should be a priority. The, they are a gift. The Ephesians 4 uh, um, translocal ministry gifts are a gift to the local church from Jesus. What is the local church to Jesus? His bride. They are a gift from the bridegroom to his bride. Ministry, ministry gifts. Ephesians 4 ministry gifts. You don't have it all if you're leading the leadership team and your leadership team doesn't have it all. I mean, you possibly could, but um, generally we need others. We need outside eyes. We need to be accountable to, 
not forced into it, but we choose to have this accountability, a real accountability, not fake accountability like Tyron talked about yesterday, but real accountability and laying stuff out there, getting input advice. And, and, and there's something that happens when you come from the outside and you can see things that people in the middle of it can't see. So um, I asked myself this question. On, um, I went on a sabbatical three years ago, a three-month sabbatical. It's very nice, and I recommend somehow leadership teams that you figure out a way to do that because uh, ministry is 24-7. It, it just is. You can't, it's difficult to get away from it. We try to rest and so forth, but you're, you're just always on. You just need this extended time every once in a while. Plan for it. Prepare for it. Save for it. That's my personal recommendation, but one of the questions that I wanted to pursue during the three months uh, I, had some, I had a whole list of goals. I think I did 12 out of 13 goals. One was to read my Bible through. This Bible, actually, right here. Uh, through. Read this through in six days. It's possible. You people say you can't read the Bible in a year, you can read it in six days. 14 hours a day for six days. So anyway, you can do it. Uh, another thing was to study the prophetic. I... Um, I uh, called Ian McKellar and Ken Grenfell, some known prophets in our togetherness, and said, what books do you recommend on the prophetic? And they, everything they sent me was on prophets or prophecy. Nothing on the prophetic. And so I just said, God, what is the prophetic? You know, because the apostle massages in the apostolic. The, the noun massages in the adjective for the local church. The prophets or the evangelist massages in evangelism, you know? So he brings in and leaves a deposit. What's the deposit after an evangelist leaves? What's the deposit after a true Ephesians 4 teacher comes in? What do they leave? Because they're the noun, they're the person, and the adjective becomes everybody. We all own it. It describes who we are. Does that make sense? And I, it was easy on the apostle and the, the pastor and the teacher and the evangelist, but I couldn't. What is, what is the deposit after a true prophet leaves? And you just saw it demonstrated with Cindy. Uh, uh, I consider her a prophet, and, and there is an increased deposit left in us. So here's what I see. For the, the teacher who grounds, uh, their, their deposit is a greater passion for the word, God's word. Not for you all know how to speak Greek. That's not their... That's not their purpose, but to enlarge us, to have a greater desire and hunger for the word of God. True teacher. A true evangelist, when they leave, is that we have a greater passion for the lost and what we do, what we can in our sphere of influence to engage the lost with the good news of Jesus. The apostle who governs, they instill a greater passion for his kingdom, the hugeness, the bigness the enlargement that a true apostle brings. 
Apostles don't go around with uh, stat cards saying, I've got, uh, I got 68 people to plant churches this year. That's my apostle gifting. No, that's not that. It's to enlarge in you. And if you're a businessman, you can increase that for the kingdom. If you're a teacher or a doctor or whatever, you can increase that, the enlargement. That's what the apostle does. Then the pastor who guards, he instills... Uh, uh, if I'm any of these, I'm not sure if I'm any of these, but if I'm any of these, that would, this one describes me the most, I think, instills a greater passion for his bride, for each other, for the health of the family, the church, a greater passion. The pastor uh, gently leads those that are with young, the prophet says. The pastor sometimes has a bad rap because that's the only side of the pastor we see, but the, the pastor also fights off the bear and the lion barehandedly. A true pastor fiercely protects the flock. So what is a prophet's deposit when he leaves? Uh, I want you to listen real carefully. I believe that that. The prophet's deposit when he leaves is a greater passion for God's presence. And here's why I say that in a nutshell. And you, you could disagree, I suppose, but the Bible says that Moses was the greatest prophet ever. There's no prophet before or after who is greater than Moses. When Jesus has uh, the, the transfiguration, there was Moses was there and Elijah. All right. Moses was the one who said to God, if your presence does not go before us, we will not go. The Bible says of Moses that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He wasn't a fire and brimstone. Some of the prophets were. But Moses was a prophet and he desired God's presence first. He goes, if you don't go before us, we're not going. And the presence of God in our midst, when a true prophet comes in, maybe they're, they're um, prophesying over people and you're going, oh my gosh, that is spot on. God, we give you the glory. I want to I know you, God, like they know you. A greater passion. For the presence of God. Intimacy with God, you guys, takes time. It doesn't happen just like that. You can't say, God, I want to be, I want to have intimacy with you. I want to be close to you. I want to be so close that I can hear your whispers and feel your gentle pressure on my back as we do this ballroom dance together. That's what my wife describes. And, and, and God, I want to know you. God told Moses, it's, it's not because of who your people are. It's because I chose you. And I'm making myself available. I'm making myself available uh, to be known. That's actually in Exodus 34.10, that verse about there's never been another prophet who speaks with God face to face. It was simply that the Lord loves you. Isn't that amazing? So I want to share a bit of a personal testimony for the last little bit about the presence of God. Ezra completed the temple 
It's the last story. It's the last storyline portion of the Old Testament. They rebuilt the temple, and then Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, and then the Old Testament's over. Not in your Bible, because all the prophets are extended after that, but the storyline ends there. They built the foundation. The, the children, or the, the, the leaders rejoiced. The people rejoiced that the temple was being rebuilt. They celebrated, and then they let it sit for 18 years. And then they were rebuked and said, you need to finish that. Why are you living in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? And so they finished and completed. But the people were content with living on that slab for 18 years. A lot of you had a foundation laid in you, and you're content for living on that slab. Waiting until Jesus comes back. The children of Israel were taken out of Egypt to go into the promised land. Not to wander around. They were saved from oppression and bondage. Miraculously, they're in the, in, the promise, in the desert, and they were called to go into the promised land, but yet they remained there. Like Dave prophesied, and the children of Israel went in, and it was the Joshua generation. Joshua generation would not have taken place had Moses not prayed, God, if your presence doesn't go before us, we don't want to go. The presence of God went first. In Chronicles, when Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel are surrounded by the enemy, and they're in fear because they were vastly inferior, they, the, Jehoshaphat called a fast in prayer. And then a prophet came and spoke and said, stand, you know, stand to see the salvation of the Lord, don't worry. Rest assured. And so they sent the worshipers in first. The worship team went in first. And when they went over the rise of the hill... The whole army, 10 times their number, they were all dead, laying there. The presence of the Lord went first. It's encouraging to hear the stories in Chicago and, and, and the buildings. I remember just this morning, I was just thinking, uh, about 14 years ago, we were in an old funky building, and we knew we were outgrowing it. We needed another building. Uh, we were running maybe a, a 110 on Sunday mornings. And God, we, oh, we had about a six or eight week of fasting and prayer every Wednesday for eight weeks in a row. We prayed, God, what do we do? The word came through a long story. The word came that we go to our, our newer building and 110 people, and we had to put out like $1.2 million. And when I look back on that, I'm going, oh, my gosh. What were we thinking? That is ridiculous. But God gave us a word during that prayer and fasting time, prepare for 300. And we knew that we knew that we knew that it was a word from the Lord. Prayer and fasting, God said it to us. We believed it. We acted upon it because his presence went before us and led the whole way. And we moved into the new place, and we didn't have 300. 
<laughs> I thought it would be the first day. But six months after we moved in the, the new place, we had 300 on Sunday morning. Because his presence goes before you when he tells you something to do. So we've talked about this all the time. And I just, I'm, I'm very hesitant to share this. Um, I got two minutes to share. Uh, that's my own limitation. Not anybody else told me that. Um, I'm in a third season of ministry in my life. It just started this year. About 22 years at Southlands, about 21 years at Westside, and now this next one, this next season. Ken Grenfell uh, prophesied over me a couple years ago at the last equip and said, um, the Lord says that that's going to be the most fruitful season. Uh, that scared the bajickens out of me. So I have time now to spend even more time with the Lord than I, when, instead of leading a church every day. But I'm telling you, whatever God has called you to do, he'll give you the time if you put him first. Seek him first. Seek time with him. And he's given me a bit of an inkling. I don't know what it is, but it's very scary. A while back, I started hearing singing in the morning before I got up. And we have a sound machine on every night. And I could just hear this faint singing. And it was just very peaceful. And I'd sit up, couldn't hear it. Lay back down, could hear it. So it wasn't in between... Dream, you know, sleeping and waking, that dream state. I got up, couldn't hear it. Lay back down, wide awake, couldn't hear it. Got up, couldn't hear it, lay back down. This happened for weeks. And I go, God, is that you? Is that like, I know in South Africa they heard angels singing. Is that angels singing? Because it was, it was beautiful. It was very peaceful. And, and uh, so I don't know if it was angels, honestly, or if it's just a radio from heaven, but I know it's from heaven. And then as I began to slow down, instead of waking up, just spending time with the Lord before I do get up for the next few months. And it has continued in Texas, so God must be in Texas too. So, But... It was almost always the same. It was like a sustained chord, no, no instruments, none whatsoever, just a sustained chord of voices, like four-part, huh? you know, just like that kind of. And then there would be a soloist, like rift, just go beautifully, all inter, intertwined through it. Sometimes two, you know, playing off of each other, going through, and it was just enough to where I couldn't make it out fully, but I could hear that. Sometime for 15, 20 minutes. And then one day it was different. It had a African chorus to it. The sustain. You know, just, I don't know, I'm not a musician, but it was like distinctly that. And then there was an island, like a Pacific Islander one. And then, and then there was a, like an Irish one. I, and I'm going, oh my gosh. 
over, the, over a period of weeks. And God says, I know the culture of the world says everybody needs to be identical, but I've always celebrated diversity. And my word says that in heaven, there's going to be people from every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, worshiping him. And I'm, I don't know why God uh, did this or what he's trying to tell me, but I'm telling you, I am closer to him than ever. And it, to get to that point, it takes time. It, do, it doesn't happen overnight. You spend time with God. Now, he can sovereignly do whatever he wants and speak to, like, Abraham out of, you know, nothing one day and then the father of promise and so forth. But I, uh, you got to want to seek his face. There's some good songs coming out now. Uh, Stephanie uh, Gretzinger has, has, it's called My Father's Faith. Faith of My Father. It's an album. It's all the songs Terry and I sang during the Jesus movement at half speed. <laughs> I mean, really half speed. And one of the old songs that, that used to be sung during that time was um, about seeking God's face. Moses stood at the mountain, waiting for the Lord. God passed by and covered his face so that in his presence he wouldn't die. This awe-filled respect for Almighty God and the time that it takes. It's not, it's, it's not going to be done on an iPad you can't write yourself into the presence of God. You've got to spend time in his presence. And I want to encourage you, the big picture, the, the, the um, effectiveness of the church, the new season that God is the, the pushing forward, the, the get, get it going, uh, and, and, and the health of, of the kingdom and the shaking that's occurred and, and people wanting to count for Jesus and count for him. I'm telling you, it takes time. It is not free. You've got to pay the price. He paid the price for your salvation. You're not paying for that. But if you, the more you want to count for Jesus, the more it's going to cost you. You're going to have to lay your, your stuff down and make room for him. Amen.